Marco Royce. Daniel Marlon! Wonderful! Fantastic from Royce. Jude Bellingham. That's excellent. Jude Bellingham. This is absolutely brilliant. Jude Bellingham! Absolutely magnificent. Rina. Brilliant from the American. Just like that. Not the best of clearances. Oh, what a volley! Matt Hummels! Went in for Holland! Like he's never been away! The man in front of goal who is simply deadly! Hey, welcome to the BVB podcast. My name's Jake. Carver is with me as always, and I'm not going to go through the whole big intro because usually I mess it up. And more importantly, we have a, a real special guest with us. Josh from JJD TV is joining us. How are you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good, boys. Thanks for having me on. Excited to uh, talk a little Dortmund action with you guys. Of course. Thank you for coming on the show. I've, I've been a fan of yours for a long time. I was uh, one of the first few fans to see some of your first uploads a few years back. So, you know, happy to have you on, man. I love your work. And uh, and also a huge congrats for two joining One Soccer. I saw that you announced that, what, a few weeks back now? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. We got to see Josh and his first uh, raw experience on YouTube way back in the day, so that's good. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, obviously, like being Canadian and following the Canadian Mets national team, and there's been a big hype here in Canada. So doing a little content on that, and then got myself a, a job at One Soccer. So it's been pretty cool. But uh, as, despite what people think, because I don't do as obviously as much Dortmund content anymore, I, I still watch the boys and and, and root from afar as opposed to the uh, <laughs> up in front when it came to being on the camera. Yeah, I mean, awesome to see you. I mean, congrats to Canada, first of all. This is also now officially just the CONCACAF episode, um, <laughs> us being Americans in, in, in New Canada. We're, we're expanding up north a little bit. Um, but yeah, thanks again for coming on. It's, it's just been awesome to see your growth and, I mean, the, the move now and uh, focus on Canada leading up to the World Cup, which we did. We do some USMNT, mm-hmm. not coverage, but we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, here and I mean, there. Yeah, here and there. But yeah, uh, yeah, thanks again for joining us. And... So obviously we're coming off Dirk Klassiker, uh, Dortmund Bayern, the away leg or away not leg. It's not a leg. I'm already messing things up. <laughs> but the, the the away match, and then uh, this morning too, we had the uh, match for peace um, friendly against Dynamo Kiev, which I was not. None of us. We talked before we started recording. None of us were able to watch because they had limited streaming. And I checked even like five minutes before and like ten minutes after the game started to see if. ESPN was going to put up a link, which they did not. But um, quick mention on that, uh, we got to see a lot of young players come in since it was a friendly. They just uh, made a lot of subs. A lot of people got some time on the on the pitch. Uh, Jamie Bino Gittens scored, which I know a lot of people are going to be excited and I don't want to say get carried away, but a lot of people are already going to be calling for him to start next season. I'm getting carried away <laughs> after seeing the 20 or 30 minutes over the weekend, man. I was hyped. And then... Uh, Tom Rota scored again, yep. which is always good to see. They ended up losing two to three, but uh, it's a friendly. Like I said, we got some young guys getting minutes, and it was all for all to benefit Ukraine with uh, the war and everything going on. So, and I think it was thirty five thousand fans. Yeah, yeah, I saw yeah. it was about that um, around that number for sure. Which is, it's cool to see. I mean, get all those people around to come together for you know unity and at least try to have some sort of peace of mind and. Uh, try to keep their minds off of what the you know horrible things that are going around those areas and you know have some nice times together so cool to see and uh but yeah so with with that said we're going to jump right into Dirk Klassiker and uh first I guess leading into this game thoughts feelings thoughts on the lineup I mean we were injury riddled again as we have been all season but uh Carver do you want to start with 
you, well, right off the bat. Well, I saw a little bit of your live stream, Josh, and I saw that your prediction, if I'm not wrong, was a 3-1, which it's funny because like, it seemed like you and I were one of the very few realists, I guess, going into this game because I went to the the um, the fan club showing, I guess, at the bar the other day, and it was a big turnout for the Dortmund fan club, probably a good 20, 25 people there. And like everyone I talked to were like, you know what, I'm feeling it, man. 4-2 Dortmund or 3-2 Dortmund. That's like, oh, I mean, I love the energy. Let's see how long we can keep it up. But I felt like I was one of the very few that was a realist. But my prediction was a 4-1 too. I, I thought it was going to be at least somewhat of a bloodbath, which thankfully that didn't really happen. But especially after seeing Renier in the lineup, that made me physically like laugh out loud to myself. Just, it just, it just I don't know, raised some eyebrows for me. Josh, did you have any other uh, thoughts or predictions on the uh, lineup? No, I literally had a, a word vomit. And like the, the second I took a look at the starting 11, I said three, nothing. It just, it popped into my <laughs> mouth without thinking. So I, my prediction was three, nothing Bayern. I just, I didn't see this going any other way. Uh, I think you had Bayern, like, as we know, like Bayern thrive off of, of, of winning. Like just, it's just mm-hmm. how they are. Their number one goal is to succeed in the champions league. They not only lost out to the quarterfinals, but in no disrespect to the real, but they lost out to an opponent that they're, that they're respecting to move on. So yeah. I think that they were wounded animals coming into this. I think that this is the first opportunity since COVID to win the title in front of fans. So you had 75,000 fans at home coming off a Champions League upset and you're against Dortmund where you can lift, lift your 10th consecutive. I just, I felt like there was nothing going to go against that. On top of that, the starting 11 looked the way it did. So it, it was about par for the course. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't know if Rosa was just kind of going into this when he started Renier of like, you know, we have not much to lose or he actually saw something promising in him to really give him that opportunity. But yeah, either way, that that was raising some eyebrows for me. Jake, did you have any other thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, a little confused seeing him in there and yep. seeing him in on the lineup. And I, I was, I was thought, I was hope. I mean, I always go in hopeful. That's why Carver, <laughs> yeah. Carver's a realist. He's like, I was going in thinking we're going to lose this game. And I always just try to be hopeful. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I usually just get real sad. Um, but yeah, that was, that was weird. And I thought, you know what, maybe he's going to show something. Well, we're being hopeful and then yeah. not really. But. Well, I know last week when we were recording, my original prediction was a 2-2 and that was me being hopeful. But then like on the air, you were like, oh, Koval was taken out of training. And I was like, you might want to scale that prediction back a little bit. <laughs> and those I, other just Go ahead. I just understand what the, the reasoning is to start Renier. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, like there's, there's two situations when like Hakimi was here, he was a, a player who was just unbelievably talented. He was a starter week in week out, but he's a player that was always going to return on loan back to Madrid. Renier is the exact same type of contract to, to your loan deal has done absolutely nothing at the club. What is the point of playing him against Bayern in a match like this when he's done nothing, he's going back to Madrid, He's it just baffled me. When you, I would have seen, rather seen Makuku or, or Gittens or, I mean, honestly, Schultz up there. Like, I, <laughs> I, I don't understand why he started. He did nothing as he's done for his entire Dortmund stint here. I can't wait to see him go back to Madrid and then hopefully finds a move somewhere where the kid can play. Yeah, there's no way he gets any sort of time on the pitch at Madrid when he goes back, if he continues to have the kind of form that he's been having the last two years. I mean, it's it's been shocking. But I, I thought the same thing. I thought Mukoko at least needed or deserved some sort of a shout in this game. I don't think he came on at all. I'm not wrong. I think, yeah, he came on for Holland, but it was like oh, he 80, did? 87th. Okay. Yeah, 87th, yeah. 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 Late, so. Go figure. Him and Passlack Pas- came on the same yeah, time. Yeah. So. Of course. You know. Of course. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, he. I mean, staying on that subject, because that was one of my like talking points or, I guess, player reviews was just him his performance and it was just nothing it was just non-existent we talked about it before like anytime he's come on it's like you just lose 
you just lose whoever was in that position. Like the, he hasn't done anything. And yeah. unfortunately, I don't want to just like rag on people, but I mean, that's yeah. what Twitter's for. But yeah, it was just kind of a, uh, a dark hole of, no, it was like not having a player right there. So mm-hmm. it really, it there's really no was. need to play him. There's no need to play him. He, yeah. He's brought nothing to this team. He's, he's not even a Dortmund player and it sounds crazy, but there's just like, if you wanted to look for that little bit of spark, Gittens would have been the answer. This has been a young kid that everyone's hyped about. I promise you, you would have seen more from him over 67 minutes than you would have for an year. I just, it's just a super weird decision. And it, it just spoke to all the, the negativity that was going on before the match. Yeah. And, and Bino Gittens definitely did bring that spark, which I'd love to talk to or talk about him a little bit more uh, as we get into the second half. But uh, yeah, coming onto this one, you know, usually when we're away at the Allianz Arena, we can be pretty nervy at times and a bit overly cautious, which causes us to make mistakes early on. And Bayern are just, you know, the champions of the world at pouncing on those opportunities and they win the ball so high up the pitch and they could just easily score on us. But, I mean, those first 15 minutes, I think we kind of outplayed them. I mean, I feel like we pressed pretty well, had some decent counterattacks and uh, looked really composed on the ball, at least for those first, you know, quarter hour or so, which was very surprising to see. Yeah, it, I, I was taking notes too. As, as far as first 15 minutes, it's like we're actually, we're in this game, we're creating some good runs creating a few chances, but I think the important thing was early on was we weren't letting them, like they didn't have a lot of chances and we were kind of holding them. We were able to hold them up until I was, I always like to take notes like every 15 minutes and right when I was typing my 15 minute recap, they get the corner, mm-hmm. which turned things obviously pretty, pretty quickly. But uh, I mean, your thoughts on how the game started and how it, how the early flow was, Josh? No, it started really well. I honestly thought it was going to be a lot worse in, in the first 15 minutes. I, I just assumed Bayern would have found one in the back of the net, killed off just anything that they were, they were feeling, but they balanced it out well. Uh, it's just it's just one of those things where the opportunity will come. And I felt like all three of the goals at some point could have been avoided, but it's typical Dortmund way to kind of shoot themselves in the foot and any momentum that they had. And it's almost like moral wins. Okay, we lasted 15 minutes. And then as soon as that happened, it just it, it kind of fell apart a little bit from there. It, the, the match was decent throughout. Like, I, we're speaking like they lost 6 nothing. They didn't lose 6 nothing, but it just, it was just so disappointing throughout the course of the 90 because from the starting 11 to the actual match, I mean, the only real positive points I can look at is that opening 15. And then that's just a moral win. That's all it is because mm-hmm. they scored right after that. And then it just, it was always catch up from there. You really are our own, our own worst enemy when it comes to these kinds of matches. Absolutely. It's, it, you know, it runs back not only throughout this entire season, but the last few years as well. And, you know, that first goal almost seems like it came out of nowhere. It came off that corner, and, and Gnabry is just, you know, that's just pure talent and class that he has to put that away. And, and thankfully, it didn't look like we really dropped our heads too much. You know, usually in those kind of situations, especially at Bayern, they score that first goal, and then, you know, then it's just wide open, and, you know, we're really down in the dirt, and we put our heads down, and it's just a matter of, like, surviving any sort of uh, um, humiliation that we can, you know, be served in the remaining 70 or so minutes but you know it looked like we kept our heads high at least for a while and it didn't then it just came down to you know Zagadu making another boneheaded mistake unfortunately which you know over the course of like the eight months last eight, six or so months it's funny to see how much of like a I mean I still am like a Zagadu fan but like it's just so hard to defend them every week in and week out it's keep having more and more people pile on me and it's like I mean yeah it's kind of hard to defend them at this point after every week yeah, yeah. It, I, I thought him and Ikanji for the, I mean, that big mistake obviously costs a goal. And that's what happens when you're a defender and you make a mistake. And we just tend to, it doesn't matter who's back there, Akanji, Zagadu, Hummels, they always 
will just make a mistake, unfortunately. But I thought they still played decent for the most part. I thought he did some really yeah. good things. It's just that one big mistake out of the goal. It's And that's not the first time he's done that kind of thing to concede a goal like that at Bayern, you yeah. know? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're going to get a nice unfiltered Josh because, I mean, recently... <laughs> I, I mean, working like working with Dortmund on, on their Twitch, doing videos. Like I, I always give the player the benefit of the doubt. And if you wear black and yellow, I mean, I'm I'm going to love you. It's just the way it works. But I have never trusted Zagadu since the second he's came to Dortmund. He's made he's a mis- he's a walking mistake, and there's just there's simply no way around it. I don't know what argument you can make, and I'm curious to get your guys' take as well as why keep him around i've been saying this for years honestly i've been saying it and it's not maybe it's not fair to to highlight this situation but it was in the title uh challenge that we had and it was the game i believe it was in byron it might be the goal you're talking about when zagadu just gave the ball right to Lewandowski. i was i know exactly what you're talking about so i mean (laughs) he does this type of thing all the time and and he's he's injured all the time as well and i think that if his career could have went maybe down a different path at the beginning if he could have found a, a string of performances or could have mm-hmm. just stayed healthy, he mm-hmm. could have been the defender they thought they were getting. But I mean, three years on, he he's he's still that walking mistake. I don't trust him whatsoever. He's made him another big mistake in a big match. And I just think it's time to cut your losses. I don't think he's ever going to turn around his, his career. I just don't think he's the same guy that Dorman thought he was getting. You hit the nail right on the head. I mean, 2019 me would have made the argument of like, well, you know, I think he's been improving in some areas, but when he caught those string of injuries and you're out for what's, I mean, not at one time, but it seemed like at least 14 months or so out of the last two years, you know, you just don't have the time uh, and ability to really try to work those errors out of your game. And yeah, and he came back looking arguably worse in my opinion than what he did to start off with. So yeah. And, and, and when he did come back a few months back, I was like, you know what, maybe this can be a, you know, a really long, but hopeful redemption arc and then I just I watched him just become more and more of a liability every game and I'm like I, I can't defend the guy anymore unfortunately it sucks it's to so, say but it is it's so difficult too when you're when you're young like that and especially a young defender you need to get those matches it's the reason why Renier is never gonna make it you can't just toss him in the game like this when he's on loan never playing you need to go you need to play you need to stay fit and if all those things don't go your way you're just behind the curve and it's exactly who's always been chasing down trying to be a starting player when he finally gets that opportunities he gets run over and he just looks the way he does and i just think maybe a change of scenery will be a good opportunity for him and he's also young someone's going to cash in on him and Dorman can use that kind of money and reinvest he's he is still an asset it's just i just don't ever see it working here at Dortmund. i really don't yeah um i I mean i think as you guys mentioned the inconsistency the in and outs the injuries and that just plays on kind of it's like a systematic issue almost because that, that's kind of what we've seen too with him, Akanji, and Hummels. It's just this, we don't have a solid, who's our who's our pair? Who's our center mm-hmm. back pairing? Like who who is it? Like we don't know week to week, um, whether it's injuries or just someone's a little out of form or Zagadu's, you know, he's always got a mistake in him. So, and I think that lack of consistency and being able to build that really hurts not just Zagadu, but all of them. Or if, if, they were able to work him in a little better consistently where he didn't get the injuries over the years, then he could have just played in and built a partnership with someone. But uh, I think the inconsistencies there and then also the switches from a, a back four to a back three, um, which, I mean, Carver and I are both, we are real hype on let's play a back three uh, where, where we've been. But also at the same time, it's like it just doesn't, we don't know who the center backs are really. So. Yeah. I think it's it's fine. We're gonna have uh, Sula and Schlatter back next year. It's not gonna matter anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that'd be again. That'd be so sexy with links. You know, <laughs> just getting more and more heating up of a 
for Schlotterbeck. I know it was, you know, it was off and on for the last few months, but um, that is going to be a sight to see if we can sign both of those two center backs. And we'll have, on paper, the best defensive pairing in the league, in my opinion. I, I, really, I really do think that. But, you know, it, yeah, it wasn't just the mistakes at the back either because, you know, whenever you dig your, yourself into those kind of holes at Bayern, it's going to be even harder to claw yourselves out, especially whenever you don't have uh, much of an attacking threat. And I think that was one of our bigger problems this game as well. I mean, it, it, it looked like it was relatively... Um, easy for us to get into their final third at times, but just lack that final pass to finally be like clinical in front of goal pretty much all game. I mean, you'd have a good buildup coming, uh, coming out of the middle, and then right when you get into that final third, again, just didn't really have any other options besides to try to dish it to Holland, which, you know, works in some areas. But I know, Josh, you were saying like, you know, Holland usually has a field day with players like Upa Makano in the last few meetings. I mean, go back to last year at the Polk Island, he was just bodying Upa Makano all game, but... It looks like this game, you know, he did his homework on Holland and was able to contain him a little bit more, which just took the sting out of Holland's attack and a lot of uh, a few different opportunities, you know. Yeah, I think Umokano definitely did better. I mean, I, I do think Umokano is like a solid center back. I just think it, when it came down to it, I mean, Holland was in the mood, and when when it came yeah. to that Pokal final, he just he, he just ran him over. I think Lucas Hernandez really balanced out Umokano's game yeah. a little bit just to, to help him out. But I mean, when you're talking about a nice build-up play, it's almost like the starting eleven for Dortmund didn't play together a lot. It's like, there's a couple different holes in it. It's like, they weren't mm-hmm. sure exactly what Wolf's role was on the overlapping runs, Ranier being non-existent. So, I, I mean, it's one of those things, maybe it could have went Holland's way and he could have found the back of the net. It could have been a little bit different, but I, I just think a three, one ish scoreline was basically what we were going to see. I, I just didn't think enough spark was going to be there. I think Royce looked good from his, his moments, obviously leading to yeah. the penalty. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess a bit of a kudos to the back four for Bayern. Cause I, I was a little skeptical at at the start. I'm like, okay, maybe Holland can have some fun here, but no, it it didn't really go that way. That's another good point to mention Wolf as well. I've said in recent weeks that early recent months, really, that I think you're kind of setting him up for failure when you play him in that back four because he has so much of a defensive responsibility that you know he might get cooked a little bit uh, and you know against different opponents. Which thankfully, I think he actually did look relatively decent against you know Alfonso Davies and Kingsley Coman. Unbelievable amount of pace and. Uh, talent as well and ability and attack so I think he weathered that storm relatively well for the player that he is but yeah I mean it's, it's just hard to kind of build any for, sort of defensive structure with the back four that we kind of had going into this one well it's it's funny and I, I mean I mentioned this a lot I'm, I'm sure you guys have probably heard it and you definitely understand it the fact that you said we should be playing with a with the back three but it just to me it just it just baffled me and I, and I don't know if this is something on Marco Rosa in terms of just wanting to be stubborn or just being very determined to play the the system that he wants to play but i mean if you look at the starting 11 for for dortmund right in this match you had wolf who is i don't care what anyone says at the very least he can maybe be a wing back but he mm-hmm. is an a right mid he's, he's a right yeah. winger that is that is position you got so you got a player playing out of position at the back you have guerrero who i love but again like you could almost argue the same thing he, I was he's, about a, to say, yeah. he, he's a wing back he is not a le- proper left back you have an iffy emery chan and, and bellingham which i mean you can argue they're playing their proper positions you got a cam and brant out wide you got a I don't know what in Renier out wide. I mean, I think he's a cam. I don't really know. So you have a, at least four or five players playing out of their proper positions. If you wanted to tweak this around, you could have done Wolf at right wing back, which is a more of a fit. Mm-hmm. You would have had to sacrifice someone, Renier, put on Prongacic, have him out at outside right center back, have Zagadu outside left, Akanji through the middle. Guerrero then is allowed to be a little bit more advanced mm-hmm. as, a, as a left wing back with Chan, Bellingham through the middle. Then you have the dual cams, Royce, Brandt, Holland. Everyone is playing their proper position, and instead you just 
I don't get why he doesn't. He's done it all season. He just, he doesn't like playing with a back three. It's not his system. He's a four, two, three, one guy, which is fine. It's just, it comes to a point where you have to look around at the personnel you have, and we don't have the personnel to fit that system. And it's why a lot of these matches go the way they do. And I just don't know if I'm, and again, I'm curious to see what you guys think. If it's just purely being stubborn or Marco Rosa is just absolutely, maybe he doesn't, doesn't trust players. I don't know. I'm I'm just confused because it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a mix of being stubborn, but also maybe he's not the most proven manager either. I mean, he did some decent stuff at Salzburg and he had like a you know, had moments at Gladback. But other than that, I mean, you look at his resume and he doesn't really have, you know, the the history of these brilliant philosophies to take on different types of opponents. So uh it's it's a good it's a good shout for sure. I think it could be a mix of a few different things, but you know, as much as I have criticized Rosa in this season, I, I do got to give him credit to where credit's due going into halftime at least. And for him to be able to kind of galvanize the team and uh, lift him up as much as he could to go out the second half and, you know, have some fight to him. I think I think we came out of the second half being 2-0 down at Bayern. Usually it's game over. But I think we had a little bit of spirit in us. We had some fight in us. And I had, you know, what, seven? No, I don't want to say seven, but probably like five or six attacks in the first ten minutes. So... And that, that was that was pretty motivating or at least inspiring to see. Yeah. And I mean, we've talked about that's one thing we have talked about a lot in like every week. Like, let's go to back three. And we see it sometimes. And he'll almost play this um, this like shifting back line. Like they'll in attack, they'll go to a back three. Um, but then with that, we also see like players getting caught out or not getting back in time. Uh, Rafa not not getting back in time, which yep. actually this game, I thought he did pretty well to get back. He made a couple big uh, like he definitely made that yeah, sliding that like slide in to half. get the ball win the ball back but but also it seemed like we lost him going forward we didn't create much going down that left side but yeah it's just it's interesting to see and I mean I'm I don't get paid millions of dollars to be a manager so maybe I don't know but from our perspective it seems like given the the injuries and in the players we have you're like yeah why aren't you changing up the system when you're just leaving gaping holes in the system you want to play it's just I don't know it doesn't make sense to me but mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I say it all the time too. I was like, I'm, I'm not a manager, so I mean, this is just coming from a fan perspective. But I mean, there, he definitely has opportunities where you just look at who's available. It's not even like, okay, I'm not saying if they would have played in that back three that this result would have been any different. I want to make that very clear. They could have lost four nothing. Yeah. But it just in, in hindsight, looking at the strengths of these players, you're you're not giving them anything. You're putting them in, in players who maybe shouldn't be playing this match anyways. Now you're putting them out of position. Like, how do you think that's going to go? And that's just, I think what frustrates a lot of the fans when they look at the starting 11 and seeing, okay, this is how you're going to do it. You're going to put Renier out wide. You're going to put Wolf at right back. How do, how do you see this going? And it's easy to say from a fan's perspective. So, I mean, it, it I mean, Hey, if we got Marco Rose on here, be very curious to see what he had to say about it. <laughs> I uh, I will say one thing that probably would have changed the scoreline is if the refs actually had some pretty decent oh my calls. Yeah. I am I am really <laughs> I am not one to bitch at referees much, but my God, it seems like every time we play against Munich, there is just some like insane controversial call, one minimum each game, and just like man, I mean, just even the first what was it in the forty eighth minute, whenever Brandt uh, had that beautiful yeah. run in the middle mm-hmm. and Pavard just. I'd, even even before the replays, I was like, whew, that did not look like he got much of any of the ball. And the ref had a good position on it. I mean, he was on the complete other side of them, so he wasn't like, you know, he wasn't behind the play. And I was like, all right, I guess the ref saw something else that I didn't. And then it, the replay shows you, and it's like, Jesus Christ, he did miss that kind of uh, blatant call like that. It's insane. Oh, I mean, watching the replay, at least you're thinking – Holy crap! Okay, at least we'll have VAR because then they call it like, oh well, unless it's a red card decision. I was like, I'm pretty sure that's a red card. De- 
it's, 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 it's because, definitely a shout. Yeah, it's, yeah. Again, it could be one of those orange calls. But I mean, I've seen orange cards. I've seen that in like in the Premier League. Like those go as, as red before. So pretty wild to get the no call. And then uh, I mean, we saw the other one later in the box with Jude. But what were you gonna say? No, I was just gonna say it was it was, and I saw it all over Twitter. Like I mean, after if it seems like after every. Dortmund Bayern game, there's something to cr- to cry mm-hmm. about, and that's what they say. Like Dortmund fans crying, but there there usually always is something, and it's a little bit more controversial this time. All over Twitter, I, I saw we saw like analysts and, and people come out saying, if you're a Dortmund fan, you you act like this is a real reason to be upset. Like this, there was mistakes all over the park from the referee, and it just just is one of those matches. So, but then just goes on the narrative of this happens all the time. It happens all the time where where Bayern and Dortmund meet and. I mean, I've seen different situations where, like, okay, it's 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 fifty fifty. I mean, I'm obviously on the Dortmund side, and and I'm upset because it didn't mm-hmm. go my way. But this one was just blatant, and I, and I saw it all over social media, and it was it was just it was just quite ridiculous, to be honest. Yeah, I, I get people coming at others for saying like, you know, you're just you're decrying about different calls, but it's like when you have a legitimate case like that, I mean, it, something needs to be said, and people need to voice their opinions because. I mean, this isn't the first, hell, I don't even think it's the first time this season when we played Bayern where it's had been a, a controversial call, but you can go back to almost any other fixture. I mean, Boateng's uh, handball at, when we were at home a few years back, right whenever COVID uh, started, I mean, that was pretty insane as well. And I think we had VAR at the time in the Bundesliga and we still didn't get that called back. That's two penalties right there. And just, again, the list goes on and on of those kind of controversial calls. Again, I'm not saying like, you know that's the that's the sole reason that we don't win against Munich every single time. But my God, it's it's it definitely can change the outlook of games going on. Absolutely. Was it the same uh, same guy on both challenges too? The one in the box, Pavard. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So even even if it was not a red, but even if he got a yellow on that first, and then that the one in the box could have been another yellow, uh, possibly. I mean, probably. Um, yeah, just nuts. I don't know. On so on that second one, I, that's a little bit later in the game, but. The one on Jude, I almost thought, I don't know if if Jude Jude's attitude worked against him there, mm-hmm. where immediately he was like putting his arms up and slapping the ground, which is understandable. Um, but at the same time, like a ref could be like, oh, well, Jude always does this kind of stuff, and he's always yelling and getting in our faces, and so yeah. maybe he's like, yeah, there was nothing there without even he, he. I mean, he probably didn't get that good of a look at it, which is why he didn't think much about it. And then when Jude throws his arms up, he's like, no, whatever. When it was clearly a foul, when you see the mm-hmm. replays, like clearly should have been a penalty. And like you said, maybe we score and Byron probably would have found another way to score and still beat us. Maybe we don't win. But I mean, that can, yeah, it, it changes the look. Yeah. It can be frustrating for, for a player. And it's interesting because I usually see this a lot with like wingers when, when you're, you're, you're good on the ball, you're, you're good at running at defenders, you're getting chopped down, you're getting taken out. Uh, but Jude's just everywhere. He's just, it's why he's just one of my favorite players to watch. And, and he constantly puts himself in those situations where he he gets chopped down, and it's it's just because that's the way he plays the game, and and it's frustrating when rightly so, like he's going for the ball, he gets the ball, he moves on, and if he gets chopped down, he doesn't get these kind of calls. This has been happening to him all season long. Um, he's had calls go against him pretty much for, for a lot of his Dortmund careers. You guys all remember the City match, so it's it's just a ton of frustration for a young kid who who's going out there, he's doing everything to get the call, then to not get it just adds frustration, and maybe a little bit more maturity, he, he'll better be able to handle it. But I mean, I'm, I played the sport. I know what it's like. I've, I, I was used to play on the winger. So I just always remember getting chopped down like that. And then we're asking me like, I get up and it's like, mm-hmm. it's off, man. Like that's a foul. <laughs> like, like get, get, get it together. And, and I, and I understand you and it's part of the energy I, I love to see him bring. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, I mean, Grealish is another perfect example when he's playing for Villa, man, he got, he got 
brought down all the time. Very similar kind of situations. Yeah, I think and it was the like refs- the most fouled player in the Premier League last season or something like that. Yeah, it was, one of it, was some, it was something like that. And eventually, when you put yourself in those situations and you get fouled a lot, the ref kind of like, okay, well, that's what you do. You, mm-hmm. you so it it's one of those things. But I, I mean, I wouldn't change Jude's game for anything. I just I just love everything about the kid. Yeah, and in no way am I saying like, oh, Jude complains too much. Like rightly no, so, because no. <laughs> he gets torn up. And I mean, even I think it was I don't remember that I think it was Rangers. I don't remember the exact game. What wherever like his shoe literally like ripped in half and it was a <laughs> no call. Like, and every, like, Are you kidding me? Yeah. And he like walks up to the ref with his shoe ripped in half. He's like, dude, like Ah. Uh, yeah. Could have put could have pulled a who's a guy, um, the Turkish guy, uh Turan from Barcelona. Remember he hummed his shoe at have you ever seen that clip? He gets yeah. taken down. It's like this is a foul, and he hums it. That's what Jude should have done. But no, I, I, I agree with you, man. Like the, he just it's just what you love about him. He always just puts himself in, in those kind of positions. But I mean, it, it just yeah. When you don't get a call in, in a game like this, it's can be so demoralizing and so mm-hmm. frustrating because these kind of decisions could change the outcome. Like that, there's there's situations in that match where penalties called, red cards given, something like that. Those can change. That's the beautiful thing about this sport is a red card can change everything. Not saying it would, but it could, and it doesn't seem like Dorman ever gets on the right calls. Well, even on that, so the Jude call, and we'll I'll mention this, and then we'll we'll bounce bounce back a little bit to our first goal. But that was in the 60th minute, so that could have, um, granted, I mean, depending on how the how the play goes, but I guess I guess if the play yeah. plays out how it did with the no call on on Brandt, we did get a little redemption with the penalty a few minutes later, um, and so we converted that. Chan put it in with the uh, Royce uh, getting the drawing the penalty in the box, but the next. P- potential penalty quote-unquote was Jude in the 60th minute so that's a complete game changer to mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. tie game and anything's on and we already came out with such good energy in the, the second half where that's a complete game changer yeah and even a few minutes before that we had three opportunities in five minutes of you know it's it, it not clear-cut chances but you know pretty decent opportunities to net one I think we kind of gave Byron like a little taste of their own medicine of trying to win the ball high up the pitch and then you had the combinations of Royce and Holland trying to penetrate those lines and hopefully score, but again, just kind of lack that final pass, whether it was, you know, Royce just having like just one second too late or not even like a half second too late of um, the ball being too far ahead of him or, you know, Holland not having the right pass. It's, it's just frustrating. And then whenever you try to have that, you know, opportunity to hopefully get a penalty and then you could try, tie the game up. That's whenever it changes everything. But yeah, again, demoralizing. You said it for sure. Yeah, the rest of the game, I mean, pretty frustrating as well. It It's just a matter of, you know, Bayern are not going to lay down and, and they're going to act like champions and they're going to be way more clinical in front of goal than, than us, unfortunately. And I think that's been, you know, usually one of the uh, telling signs the last few times we've met with them is just us not taking our opportunities, whether we make some mistakes early on and then Bayern capitalize on those or if we do net like one, even two, uh, early on, they can just clear all the way back because they're actually, you know, wanting to go and score every time, unlike us, unfortunately. It's ruthless is the word when I think yeah. of Bayern over the years. They're just, they're absolutely ruthless. You don't, you don't take every, you don't have the perfect game. Every sense of the word, they will punish you. And refs never have never helped in the past. But in in my opinion, it's, it's just dormant. Just do it to themselves. And it's just, it's a, it's a recurring story i mean we can say and i'm not trying to come on here and, and be like oh we lost because the refs because that's not mm-hmm. the case i think mm-hmm. we lost because of ourselves um and it's just it's just one of those things where Bayern just doesn't seem to make those mistakes and if they do during the season it's never against dortmund yeah yeah and, and that's exactly what we did right towards the end of the game i knew when it was 2-1 
uh, probably towards like the 65th or something. I was like, 100%, there's another goal in this game, whether it's going to be us tying it up or Byron making it 3-1. And yeah, again, Rafael Guerrero with a poor clearance. That's not the first time he's done that this season. I know even in the first meeting against Byron at home, he didn't have the greatest clearance either. And I think that goes back to, again, if, if he's a little bit more far out in the wing and we have like a proper left back, maybe they can deal with that a little bit better and have kind of the IQ of, of you know, the defense awareness of what's going on and have a better clearance. Because, again, whenever you make that sort of a, you know, poor clearance and you have keepers like hits in the back, it's just going to be, you're setting them up to fail. And that's when yeah. it made a 3-1 and just took the sting out of our, everything in our game. And, and, and I mean, the listeners might think it's maybe a little too easy just to say, oh, Guerrero's not a, a left back. But I mean, mm-hmm. these these things are are true. I mean, when you it's kind of the same, same way when you hear like United are a little annoyed playing with Ronaldo because Ronaldo maybe doesn't press and doesn't have the same type of uh, I mean, who's going to be upset to have Ronaldo? Well, it depends yeah. on the type of manager. Guerrero, in my opinion, should be playing for Inter Milan. That's just right off the bat. Yeah. That's, a, that's a team that has a clear system. It is a three five two. He would thrive in that type of system. And he has his responsibility. He knows exactly what he ha- wants to do. I'm not saying he wouldn't been somehow back in that position. And, and that's, that goal might not have happened, but when you line up and put him in a left, a proper left back position, like he is, I mean, this kind of match where the, the possession is a little bit more in Bayern, you're going to see him doing a lot more defending than you're going to see him doing attacking. And these type of things are going to happen because it's not the strong point of his game. Especially whenever you have a manager like Rosa, that doesn't focus a lot of his philosophy on defending you know, Favre was a lot more of a conservative manager. And I think at times, you know, Rafael or Guerrero did defend somewhat decently. Like, uh, you know, we had Barcelona at home and somehow Guerrero was marking Messi the entire time. And I think that we held them to a, and it was either like a nil-nil or something like that, or they only scored one against us. So it, it especially whenever you're a manager that's more attacking-minded, you, you need to put players in their positions that are going to set them up for success. So, yeah, and absolutely Guerrero's- well said. Guerrero's come right out and said, "I I want to play as a wing back." He's like, "That's where I, that's where I'm at the best. That's where you're gonna you're gonna see me." But it's funny because he does play as a left back for Portugal. But again, I mean, I don't I don't look at where you play for your national team and be like, "Okay, that's where he's gonna mm-hmm. do it a 34 game season and, and do it to success." Because I think it, it, sometimes he can be a bit of a headache. Because I absolutely love Guerrero. I just I don't think if, if Marco Rosa is gonna stick to this four two three one, I think Guerrero is a huge problem because i just mm-hmm. don't know if he can do it if you're not going to adapt and, and play to him he's he, you're not using him to his fullest you might as well get some money in, get a proper left back who can fit your system and move forward and it's it's sad to hear but if what's the point of using Guerrero when you're not using him to what he's made to do because when he's in the mood Guerrero is a special special player oh yeah it is sad to hear because i know his, his stock is at a huge high right now and you know we've, we've had him for so many years and he's a joy to watch but yeah, I completely agree. You don't want to just run his stock into the ground and run and run his career into the ground if you're not going to use him properly. And then even when we have like switched to a, a back five or, or with wing backs going pushing forward, if we like transition to like a back three at times, um, there's still it still seems to be some confusion, and that's the inconsistency where, with the center backs. Where I think it was last game where there was, or maybe a couple games ago, I don't remember where I don't think they scored, but they had a one on one with. Uh, Oh my gosh, I'm blanking on everything. <laughs> they had a they had a one on one with Koble mm-hmm. due to I think it was a Kanji and Zagadu. Like Guerrero had pushed up, and then a Kanji and Zagadu were completely on the right side and weren't just like covering. Mm-hmm. So there's just a lot of confusion to where we do play. If we do switch to a back three, not everyone's still up to date or knows exactly what to do in the system because it's always changing. Yeah, I was gonna say you know it's like the team wears a bunch of different faces. You know, you could see 
bits of uh, Rosa in there. You could see bits of Favre. You could see bits of Terzic. It, it goes back of just players not really having like a set game plan day in and day out, unfortunately, like teams like Bayern. So yeah, um, they, they, they look lost a lot of the times. Yeah. I, I, I don't know what it, what exactly they're, they're looking to do when it comes to when they play that back three, because it almost seems like, because you're right, they, they do play it at what, one, once every 10 games. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. stop gap. We're throwing it a back three today. Ah, it didn't work. And now we're just revert right back. And then it's just the same kind of things, pushing players in the wrong positions. Yep. So, you know, in the unexpected result, at least from what Josh and I were predicting, it kind of a, a somewhat of a hammering and uh, the Byron lift the title, which is sad to see, especially whenever they're playing against us on that day. But, you know, it, there's a few, there are a bunch of things I could talk about for this game and performance, but there's one thing that I probably wouldn't say, which what I would say in most performances on Dortmund this season is gutless. I think, I think this team, this, this team did not look gutless whatsoever in this game. Again, even from the first 15 minutes, came out, looked composed, looked confident, and uh, a little bit fearless as well. And, you know, this kind of a game was always going to be a really tough one, and especially coming out 2-0 down in the second half, and we showed some fight in us. So I really think we showed some bravery, and uh, we were bold in our play, but just, again, mistakes at the back are always going to cost us. And if anything else, this was this was an event to highlight and expose the areas for much-needed uh, improvement in this team. I mean, the the issues go back years and years, and this is just a um, a worldwide event to really expose those areas. Yeah, one. So, I think immediately after watching the game, because I, I had to watch it on delay. I know biggest game of the season, and mm-hmm. I, I couldn't couldn't watch it live. But I texted Carver the next morning, and I was like, you know, I didn't. I thought it was a decent performance, and it might sound weird saying we we lost three one, mm-hmm. and obviously. I just think the timing of this game makes it hurt a lot worse. Just but how terrible this season's been. I mean, mm-hmm. terrible, and we're still in second. But uh, with with the injuries and how the inconsistencies and everything, I think the timing of this, like obviously we're out of. The, they won the title. Mm-hmm. We only have a few games left. Season's over. Season feels like it's been over for a while. But if we were to play this game earlier in the season and to play, I don't want to. I kind of want to say that well because mm-hmm. we didn't get battered. And we still had a lot of chances. Mm-hmm. We um, did, we, yeah, we did. We did have chances. We just, yeah, couldn't take them, unfortunately. And I think coming off the last two games, it, it looks like we're finally we were like we're getting a decent run. Yeah, we lost this game, but I still saw a lot of positives in this performance that I haven't seen throughout the season. And to see those positives against Bayern was was a good sign for me. I thought what made me happy, although we lost, and I don't know. There's a lot of negative to it too, but I think you take this game at a different time in the season, and I would take a lot of positives out of it. It, and and I, I get what you're saying, but this for me is a, a kind of a different point. But whether it's played in the middle of the season or at the end of the season, I think that there's almost something like in the back of the player's mind. It's mm-hmm. it's it's beyond it's beyond just the realm of possibilities that that we're going to win this match because they've lost now eight consecutive competitive matches in a row yep. to Bayern, eight consecutive, and there's been some hammerings in there now. In their defense, the last few have been closer, but it's just almost like in the back of their heads, it's like something is like we can't do this. Like it's unwinnable. We're not, yeah, we're not good. We're not good enough to do this because they've been in situations. They're up two nothing after what ten minutes? Lost four two. Yeah, uh, I know they lost six nothing and five nothing. A couple ones in there. They lost a couple three twos, but it just seems like there's been at least three or four matches too where it's like we're going to win this or at least get a draw. Eight consecutive competitive matches in a row they've lost, and and in the back of my head, I'm like, when are they going to win? When is this streak mm-hmm. going to end? And 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 yeah, I mean, maybe if if it tar- the cards turned, but I felt like if 
they're going to end this streak. It's going to be at home. It's never going to be this away match, whether it's the first yeah. game of the season, the last game. See, that's just my, my opinion. I, I just don't know if this group is strong enough mentally to get over this hump. I think they're going to have to do it. Hopefully we're completely reconstructed next season and maybe grab that whole match against Bayern and see if they can do something. Yeah, well said. I mean, especially whenever the players look just fed up in general with the with season. I mean, I think there's a handful of players that are just completely done already mentally. But one of the few positives I would also throw in there is one of the players that didn't look fed up with the season was Bino Gittens. I mean, he, and I really, I really tried to stay away. And I think I have done a good job of staying away from like comparing him to Sancho. But I remember also watching Sancho Sancho on his debut or his first two or three games a few years back, and they were they were really similar in some of their plays. Which you know, Bino Gittens was not afraid to take those one on ones. I mean, he was really taking the ball and bringing the fight to Bayern, and um, you know, had lightning pace. He looked really you know, composed on the ball as as much as you know the skill that he had. So. Very excited to see him next season. I think I think a winger is something that we've also been really desperate for in attack, and he can definitely be bringing that uh, kind of quality to our team. Yeah, I, th- I think the fact that he's 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 an Englishman, he's he's quick, he's he's fast. Um, mm-hmm. I, there's a there's a lot to like, and yeah, and the Bundesliga has been basically set up in the last little bit to give I mean young English players an opportunity to thrive. So I mean, it's just it's obviously to make that connection to Sancho, but, but why not? Because it's been proven. Drew Bellingham's yep. another one, different position doing it right now. Uh, so, I mean, take some, some cojones to come into this match against Bayern and, oh, yeah. and try to try to take, take the game to them. But I think if, if they just give, cause remember what they did with Jane Sancho, they handed the kid the number seven and said, you're, you're playing. This is mm-hmm. going to be an opportunity for you. And he just took it. So I always find with youngsters that that trust almost has to be given. I think it's one of the big reasons just not to get sidetracked. Why Mukuku is almost, been a bit of a failure so far <laughs> that's a little harsh to say it at Dortmund but I don't know if Dortmund completely handled his development properly I think if you're going to bring him up and get him in this type of situation if you want him to thrive you almost need to throw him to the wolves and, and then give him that consistency and give him those type of performances to turn into a Sancho if you kind of nitpick him here and there and, and don't let him blossom I think it'll be a little it'll be a little tricky so I kind of want to see if they're going to use him for the next three three four games three games, I guess, was left in the season, then see if this carries over to next season, if he's going to get a starting role, or if they're going to dump a bunch of money into cams like Brandt and play him on the wing. Mm-hmm. I completely agree about Mukoko. We, we've been talking about that all season of, you know, I think the, the kid deserves more minutes. He's He's been proving himself throughout his entire career so far, ever since he was like 11 years old. And yeah, sometimes you do got to throw him to the wolves in those opportunities. And, you know, if you keep throwing him in 87th minute every other game, you can't expect him to make any sort of impact. So... Yeah, hopefully these next few games and next season he can really start to have a little bit of a breakout uh, in his career because, you know, if if we're going to continue to play him like that, I can imagine him wanting to move on real quick, and that is not what I want to see. I think Mukoko is going to be a world-class talent. Yeah, Uh, and and that's the, I mean, we've already seen talks about Mukoko or his agent. I mean, it's all on Twitter. It's all Twitter, so who really knows? But uh, that's there's talks that, like, oh, maybe he's trying to get out. or um, So hopefully... Yeah, maybe, and I guess he's been he's been on the bench, so and he's been I guess he played, so he's been healthy, so hopefully we can get him some run-ins. Uh, the last few games, back to uh, Gittins too. I thought it was real interesting how I guess it was interesting to not see him get that many minutes in the Wolfsburg game, especially if you're thinking I might throw him in the, in the Bayern game. That that was interesting. I mean, I think he came on and won like the 65th minute or something like yeah, that. Yeah, 65th or 67th, and. Uh, yeah, he he showed that. Yeah, he can give something. And he can uh, on a he can, stage he can like play that. At this level, like he he made some really he had some like really good uh, like skill moves and working down the wing. Like 
some great crosses. He had a great cross to Holland that probably should have been a goal. Um, so hopefully, I'm I'm hoping he'll just start the next game, the next few games, and really get him some some solid minutes. Especially when so, he netted one today. Yeah, he scored <laughs> scored today. So yeah, hopefully him and Makoko can get a lot of minutes in the next few games. Yeah. Uh, do we want to jump into a few Twitter questions before we go? Yeah, most of them are about, and we were kind of we started leaning this way anyway. So I wanted to jump into the Twitter questions as far as we, we talked. I think it was it was before we hit record, but we were talking about uh, transfers and in, mm-hmm. in the lineups, and that's what all our most of our tw- Twitter questions are about. And since Josh, we have you on here, we'll probably th- we'll let you give an answer because Carver and I have just been like putting shelving most of these answers because <laughs> my my big thing is <laughs> what we saw in the. Uh, the winter transfer window with everyone. Everyone was like, Zachary is Zachary. He's coming to us next summer. He's coming to us next summer. Well, guess what? He's at Juve now. So I don't want to get my hopes up about anything. That was, like, I wasn't even that like hopeful about him. Mm-hmm. I was more worried like, well, because well, his price was like $6 million. My thing was, well, just pay the money. If you really want him, just pay the money and get him. Don't wait. Don't wait till next summer because who knows what's going to happen and he's yeah. gone. So uh, that that's where where I've been with Everyone else, Sule is the only one. It's like, yeah, he is our player. Get hyped about him. But everyone else, I don't know. I don't want to jinx anything. Although the Schlotterbeck links have been uh, pretty, have been uh, heating up lately. So that yeah. one I'm a little more like, I mean, I'm excited. And that one I'm a little more here for. Um, but was there one in particular that you saw, Carver? Uh, I don't have them pulled up, to be honest okay. with you. But I mean, if you. Yeah. Okay. So first one, uh, shout out to Ben Howells. Who says, who do you think is the new striker we are set on signing? Because I guess there were reports lately that they already have a replacement. They're just holding off announcing it yet. So who's the new striker we're signing? Um, oh, and the, their other comment was, Jamie has to start the next game, which I also... Well, I think he started this friendly, but that aside, I, I would love to see him start in the next game. And yeah, what, what are your thoughts on a striker situation? Josh, do you have any uh, thoughts on who this identity... Or, uh, I don't know, anonymous identity. Mystery is, striker. Yeah, mystery striker. The mystery striker. I mean, it, not really. Like, mm-hmm. and this is something I'm a little nervous about when it comes to Dortmund and, and the board. I mean, there's huge disconnect, in my opinion, from what the manager wants versus what he ends up getting. Yeah. Uh, I don't think Mullins was the answer, even though I was excited about him. I, I thought there was going to be a little, like, he's going to become the striker, and then we're going to bring in a winger to replace Sancho just in reverse order. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're looking at Adiemi. I'm assuming it's going to be Adiemi be- because that's the obvious answer, but in my opinion, he's not a striker. And now is he now playing on a winger? Are you forcing a striker that's Mullen or Adiemi to play on the winger while yeah. the other one's not a clear number nine playing up front? So, I mean, I'll throw a couple names in because I have absolutely no idea. I'd hope it's someone like Chick. If, mm-hmm. if Bayern lose Lewandowski, which is you know a dream, and they bring in like Sebastian Haller, which I've seen recent links to, we bring in Schick, there's a number nine. There's a proper number nine who can score in the Bundesliga, who's a, who's a, an actual, like, he's a number nine through and through. That's what I would like to see. I've heard names like Timo Werner, not a nine, not doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he'd be fun to bring in, but he's not in the system under Marco Rosa, who's playing a one-striker system. Same, in my opinion, goes at Adiemi, but, I mean, he's young, he's German, so you better believe he's going to sign for Dortmund. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, this summer is going to be so, so fascinating of – the 17 different rumors that are popping in, whether people are leaving or coming in for Dortmund, it's, it's going to be interesting to see it. You know, I, I'm, I would be pumped to see Eddie Emmy as well. I've, I've seen him play a little bit more recently and I think he looks really exciting, but yeah, as you mentioned before, I mean, we already have as players similar to that ability of, of Malin of, you know, they're both really not number nines or we want to just kind of have like three attacking midfielders almost as our attack. Or I know also we've been seeing pop up here and there for the last two months of uh, Ekitike. From uh, Rhyme, 
you know what? Ah, damn, I said that wrong. It, it's, I know people like on uh, Sky Sports are saying it's not Reims, but Reims or for something like that for the French team. But um, I know he had like a ba- close to like 10 goals or so for this season. He's a young striker as well. So maybe him as well, but you know, who knows? I, I think we still have some other holes to fix as well, whether it be defense, box-to-box midfielder, I think should be also a very high priority as well. So hopefully we can land uh, one of each positions. I think that would be really beneficial. You want to do one more? Well, let me throw, you pick a Twitter question, I'll throw my two cents in there, which I don't have an answer for a striker. I hope they're not just like, oh, the mystery striker is Mullen. We've had him this whole yeah. time. Yeah, um, <laughs> that'd be <Right>. so funny. <laughs> yeah, guys, we already have him. He's on the bench. Um, Josh, what you said about Adeyemi, like I, everyone's very hype on him, and I get it. Like he's an exciting young player, but I, yeah, he's not the, he's not the the answer as far as like the striker because that's not the position he plays. So, um, I do like to shout for Werner because um, I just think obviously he hasn't shown for Chelsea, very inconsistent, uh, and that's. I think part of the, the team situation at Chelsea too, because that's what you see with Pulisic too, and all their front three and, and strikers, like it's just hard to get in that team and get some consistent form. But I think coming back to the Bundesliga it could be really good for Werner. So I wouldn't hate seeing him uh, coming into that fold. As far as a straight out striker though, I I have no idea. I don't know. It's it, it'll be an interesting win either way. But uh, I found a question here. Andre Swan said, "Great addition for the show, by the way, to bring Josh on. Couldn't agree more. Thanks for coming on." Uh, he says, "Knowing Dortmund can't go all out to remove every bad fit, who will be a priority to sell this summer?" And I think there's already like a handful that are like confirmed leaving. So, I mean, whether it be Berkey's coming to St. Louis, of course. Uh, I was hoping he was going to get some minutes. I was like, yeah, one last t- hurrah. Know, Let Berkey save the day. Me too. Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure Hits is going to be leaving as well. Um, I thought there was one more off the top of my head. I mean, Zagadou as well. Would that be a priority for you to get rid of, I imagine, Josh, or anyone else? I'll just quickly name off players I'd like to see leave, and then I'll give you guys a couple other players I'd like to come in just to make it very straightforward. These are players that I just think it's time. Mm -hmm. It's simply time to move on. Zagadou, Hazard, Guerrero for not playing reasons. If you're going to stick with the back four, then then get rid of him. If you're if if you plan on utilizing him properly, yeah. But if not, there's a ton of money. Schultz with everything you can do, get Nico out of this team. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't honestly. I'd say a Kanji as well. Um, depending on the money situation, yeah. let him go to let him go to the Prem. Um, I'd maybe keep Brandt. I mean, I would maybe if you could if you're bringing in Adiemi, flip Mullen. Just try to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I doubt that's going to happen. Um, Vitzel's leaving. Uh, I don't, Pong, Pong we're not going to resign. Uh, I would maybe look to get on Wolf as well as Berkey. And then I don't give you a ton of names, but I mean, look, bringing someone like Schlager through the CDM position would be ideal for me. You're getting hopefully Schotterbeck and Sula as your two main center backs with Hummels coming in as a bit part role, Adiemi as well. Yeah. And then Baku is an, another. Uh, right back that I mean I don't know exactly which right back we're gonna go but I mean it probably now should have slipped to a, a left back from selling everybody but yeah. I don't know a promising out and out balanced fullback some sort I don't know yeah I, I would Schultz is a good shout I, I would definitely probably look to get rid of him as well I mean he's he's a workhorse and I'll I'll give him that you know but other than that I, he doesn't really have much to offer at all and we're in desperate need of an actual left back that's going to bring some stability in the back. So probably Schultz for me is because the other people, you know, are, at least look like they're going to be leaving either way. The uh, only other person I would have mentioned with a Kenji is 
I know he has one more year in his contract. So yeah, if, if we're look, if, if which it looks like it's happening so far, but if we're looking to cash in on that, I think Kenji is going to be going for a lot of money. I think he's easily one of the most underrated center backs in Europe. So hopefully we can cash in and get a lot of money for him. But unless we want to try maybe one last time with his contract, but I mean, the last few times that we've looked to uh, offer him one since the start of this year, it looks like he's rejected everything so far. So if he's really trying to chase that bag that much, looks like we're going to have to chase that bag as well and get rid of him. <laughs> so who knows? But yeah, I'd probably put Schultz at the, as a priority for me. Number one, if that's at least not uh, already pretty much confirmed leaving. If you maybe put put one, I put Zagadu. I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Zagadu. But I, mean, I, I just, I just would. I think there's a lot of upside for both the player and the club. Mm-hmm. We talked a lot about if Zagadu and Akanji leave. Um, Sule's coming in, obviously. Schlatterback, hopefully. hopefully coming in. Hopefully coming in. <laughs> but the, I feel like we almost we need another. We still need another center back. If mm-hmm. Zagadu, Pongracic, and Akanji are out, we're still we're kind of short. Like if with injuries and especially with Hummels, um, is there. I mean, if you had to take Zagadu Akanji, I don't know, because it, it seems yeah, like we yeah. prefer, preferably Akanji, but it looks like he wants out more than... I mean, a masterclass, an absolute masterclass would be to to sell Zagadu and Akanji to the Prem for stupid money. Um, Pongacic just let, let him leave. If you want four center backs next season, you got Sula and Schlotterbeck as your two starters. You have Hummels there, and then get Nico Stark on a free from Hertha. There you go. There's your four. They can come in as bit part roles. I mean... I'm hoping that a ton of minutes hopefully can fall on Schotterbeck and Sula. And then again, yeah. you have Hummels and Stark there when you, when you need them. It's it, it, That's not too bad. And then you hopefully will bring in maybe 50 mil for a Kanji and Zagadu, which is ridiculous to think between the two, maybe even more. Yeah. And and hopefully maybe Koulibaly as well. I know we haven't seen much of him yep. at all this season. And I, I totally understand that he was a long-term investment. But at the same time, you know, you hopefully want to try to give him any sort of minutes after a year and a half or so of being here. So yeah, know Josh, I, one day. Yeah, yeah. I would I would totally imagine Josh Manchester United overspending on at least one of those two players of Akanji or Zagadu. I mean it's 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 in their DNA to do that and we're also a club to continue to dick them. So it's <laughs> I, I, I love whenever we keep giving uh, yeah. um United just the finger like that. I love it. Well, okay, but now they have Tin Hog, so if they actually <laughs> give him some control, which he's gonna want, uh I don't know, hopefully. Hopefully we can still sneak him in there. Yeah. All right, so three games left. Uh, this is kind of like a flashback, except the season's already over. But Carver and I, we started this podcast after the first Tur Classic this season, and so we we came into these last three games of uh, of the uh, before before the, the the winter break, and we're like, all right, we can go on a nice run, get nine easy points, get right up up there. I don't know if it was maybe surpassing Byron, but sitting that number one spot, which did not happen at all. We played terribly in these last three games. I think we got one win out of them, but hopefully we could end on a on a high note. So. Uh, this Saturday, playing uh, Bochum, who've actually shot up uh, the, the table a little bit. They're sitting in 13th. Mm-hmm. Not in great form because um, it's Bochum. I'm not trying to talk crap or anything. But uh, this should be, as a lot of games we played this year, looks on paper, it should be a nice, easy win. But who knows what's going to happen. Um, predictions going into it. Josh, I'll start with you. I'll say 2-1 Dorman. I think uh, they, they usually have a decent bounce back after... Their, every classic career loss that they they receive, so I think yep. that they'll come into it. They're at home, give some couple of young guys an opportunity. I, I think it'll be tricky, depending on what the starting eleven looks like. I might change my mind, but I, I do think they will bounce back with a narrow two one win. I'll, I was, you know, I'm I'm thinking probably a three one, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. I, I hope we have a proper response here, but I'm just hoping the 
the team has any sort of spirit and fight left in them to go on and try to get these last three wins because I think it should be nine out of nine points these last three. So I'm going to go 3-1. Yeah. Jane. I, I, I'll i go 3-1 as well. I think, like I said before, with the exception of this loss, like we <laughs> – Two games. We're on a good, consistent run winning two games before this loss. <laughs> but I don't know. It seems like we're... I don't want to say it. I don't want to say we're building momentum because every time I said that, we lost. We're consistently inconsistent Rio, this calendar so year. Yeah. But I, I'm confident. I hope that we can uh, go into this and, and win 3-1. I do kind of want to predict a lineup, too, or get your guys' thoughts on who might be coming in starting. Obviously, I want I want Jamie uh, Bino-Gittens to, to get the start and get some real playing time. It it seemed like last game, every game, I never know who's going to be in the starting 11. Just, you can, you never know. Even when you think you know who's healthy and who's injured, you always get a three, surprise. Three people get injured in the span yeah, of one week. Well, then even, I thought it was pretty straightforward with the Bayern game, even when we found out Koble was out, and then uh, Rainier starts. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what? Like, what are you doing? Like, I thought I had it on lock, but any any players you think are in or out? I mean, I, I mean, you, you nailed it in terms of <laughs> I don't know who's available. Um, but I, I, if I know Marco Rosa, it'll still be the four two three one. I'm gonna say if given, you know, just hopefully being right that mm-hmm. all these players that were in the Bayern game are still in this match. So I'll say the exact same lineup except start getting at the left attacking mid, have Renier out, and other than that, yeah. I mean, I would like to say yeah, go to a back three, get creative with it. It's not gonna happen. So I'm gonna say four two three one. Pretty much the same system, just one swap, and then don't play Rainier. Yep. Would put, completely agree. I would have said the same thing. And we'll see what actually happens this yeah. Saturday. Randy, Randy's up top and Holland's on the bench. <laughs> yeah, what go. is going on? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> Josh, uh, thanks so much for joining us. We really Thank appreciate you, Josh. it. Uh, it's been awesome. Real quick, though, for people who, who might not know you, although a lot more people know you than us, so we oh, really, appreciate, really appreciate you coming on and joining us. If you want to give out like your socials and how people can find you on YouTube and everything you have going on uh, coming up with Dortmund and uh, the Canadian men's national team leading in the World Cup, and if you want to just... Yeah, I mean, uh, JJD TV on YouTube is kind of how I've started my social media career. And uh, if you want to get it, like a hold of me or talk with me, I, I'm mostly on, on Twitter as opposed to like Instagram, and it's TV underscore JJD. Sweet. And you can also catch me on One Soccer if there's Canadians listening. Yep. But, you know. we, we got some Canadians. A few. <laughs> a Canadian, a few. There you go. Um, and then, of course, you can find us uh, wherever you listen to podcasts on YouTube by searching the BVB Podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the BVB Pod. You can email us. No one's emailed us yet. It's all just like spam stuff. So if anyone <laughs> just wants to reach out on email and say hi, the BVB Pod at gmail.com. Of course, I'll link all of Josh's stuff in the yep. uh, description below. But thanks so much for uh, hanging out. See you guys next time. Bye.